0: I'm Dan Clark, and this is I Am Teacher. Welcome, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so at paypal.me forward slash teacher. If you'd like to follow me on the Insta and keep up with when the latest episodes are dropping, you can do so at imteacher.podcast. If you'd like to reach out with some comments, Words of encouragement or words of discouragement. You can do so at Daniel Evan Clark at gmail.com. My guest today is high school history teacher Aaron Rothenberger. I've known Aaron since my student teaching days here at St. Peter High School. He currently teaches world history class to tenth graders and also And also AP U.S. History to juniors here. Today we talk about his journey on becoming a history teacher. We talk about the most important lessons to take away from history class itself. And also some historical figures to follow and learn from. Or at least people that we personally have followed and learned from. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode number 15 with Aaron Rothenberger. This is I... Am teacher. Do you ever get into the world of podcasts?
1: I'm trying to get into that world of podcasts. So,
0: have you? Do you have any that you started listening to that you like that are about history or anything like that? No, I haven't. Haven't
1: done that. Um.
0: It's crazy how many there are out there. But there's some really good history ones. There's there's one guy named Dan Carlin. Okay. It's called Hardcore History, and he takes you know he'll take a topic like world war 1 mm-hmm. and he'll spend multiple 3-hour episodes just unpacking all of it in a real methodical mm-hmm. constructed way. He does he has one about Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. It's like a com- a, com- a combined like 12 hours of him telling the story right. of Temujin or Genghis Khan, you know, and all of right. his accolades or his conquests and it's I mean, you wouldn't think you'd sit down and listen to something for 12 hours. Right. But the guy is such a good Mm -hmm. storyteller. He's got good notes. Right. He does a good job. Right. And people love it. Right. So I think that you'd probably be interested in that one.
1: Yeah. John Carlin, you said? Dan Dan Carlin. Carlin. Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin. I'll send you the link. Okay.
0: Um, But yeah, so obviously you like history, Mm -hmm. right? Right. What what got you started on that? Did you just...
1: Well, that's an interesting question, because in high school, uh, the extent of my history teachers were, um, okay, read this section in the textbook, and I'm going to quiz you the next day, Uh, or I'm going to show this video today, and I'm going to fall asleep to my own video, you know? (laughs) That's that's the extent of the enthusiasm um, that my history teachers had in high school, and it wasn't really... uh, my cup of tea, even though I had some interest in some of the things that have happened, you know, in the past in U.S. history or world history. Uh, I had an interest in Roman civilization, um, some of the wars uh, in U.S. history. But nothing really where um, I'm going out and I'm buying books and, and then I'm diving deep into the subject. And then in, in college, I was uh, a mass communications major. And, oh, uh, me too, man. Yeah, there you go. And here we are (laughs) on a podcast, but uh, uh, my mom, uh, she did the school newspaper in high school and I was an editor and, and it seemed like I was doing pretty well in that. And I, you know, long story short, chose mass communications. And then I just didn't feel like that was a career that I wanted to have. And so I dabbled in some psychology and then eventually I took a little bit more humanities classes, took some. A couple history classes and and the, uh, the professors that I had one in particular, Dr. Sweeney, uh, he was the department head back in the day when when I was there at South Dakota State. He was very enthusiastic, he had a lot of energy, and he just he told it like a fascinating story. I'm like, I could do this. I can, I can, you know, I can read up uh, some books and just you know teach like that. I can, I can tell stories. So I changed my major to history. And then the question was, okay, what the heck am I going to do with this? Do I uh, keep going and become a college professor? Um, so I, I got my education classes just just as a backup plan, and then I uh, pursued my master's. And at that point when I was halfway through my master's, I was like, man, I'm, I'm bored with researching. I'd rather teach. So I just thought, well, I'm not just going to do that to, being a professor in history, I'm just going to teach in high school and, and, uh, just kind of impact lives that way. And, um, you know, try to make history exciting. And, and that was probably my goal as a teacher is how do I take a bunch of dead people and make them exciting? You know, that's hard, hard to do, or take things that are a long time ago and make it relevant. Those are some of those challenges I think history teachers deal with. And, uh, I, again, I've I don't have a perfect philosophy, uh, but for me, it's just uh, how can I make this useful, relevant, and inspiring, enticing for students so that they can branch off and find something that they're interested in, something that they might be fascinated in, or something that they can develop an interest um, with history.
0: So what, what was the topic that, that Mr. or Professor Sweeney taught? That got you it a, was
1: a, it was a regular uh, like a U.S. history like a survey course. Uh, I think he taught from the colonial period till 1877.
0: See, like that's the stuff that you think is hard to right. I mean, some of it there's obviously really good beats to it, but some of it is not the most exciting stuff. Like to to some people, but it takes somebody who just is excited about mm-hmm. it to make everybody else excited about it. Like that's the cool thing about history and teaching is that the one, like, top five uh, most impactful strategies is Mm -hmm. just having enthusiasm for your topic. Right. Because it's contagious. And if you, like, create this grand story or, like, just tell the soap opera, Mm -hmm. like, people like it as if it were a soap opera. right? You know? Because these characters are super interesting, you know.
1: Right. Well, look at it. I mean, history has their heroes, they have their villains. Sometimes the heroes become villains and the villains become heroes. And I, but again, students got to think of this in a certain perspective that okay, what would happen if I was in that person's shoes? How would I make my decisions? And I think that's <clears throat> can make history more relatable is if you have students read letters or, you know, some newspaper articles of certain actions or what people are saying, and they like, okay, how do you perceive this? Compare this to how the public perceived it.
0: Right. And one of the things I like the most, or I'm starting to like more, is that these dead people are just good templates for ways the human should operate Mm -hmm. in the world. Like, even if you go back to... Like Marcus Aurelius, right. or like some of the, some of the other Stoics, like Epic Epictetus, or uh, was Seneca was the other one I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's so long ago, and like just think when those guys were around, they weren't thinking that oh my philosophy will be passed, you know, thousands of years into the future, um, right. and be usable in this current time period. Or you know, you look at guys like Malcolm X or MLK, two different. Figures, but mm-hmm. they're both good templates of how to right. maybe grow as a human like right. Malcolm X did in the public eye or just to carry yourself with, you know, confidence in your beliefs like MLK. Right. And right. I just think if you really crack those people's lives open and show them to kids, it gives right. them a chance to just, that. that is a good way to be. I want to be like that. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, I mean... I've experienced that these kids don't have that in their immediate surroundings, mm-hmm. you know, and I think right. that's one of the things that I didn't expect to teach about history. When I think about history, I just liked all the drama and all the crazy stories and really interesting things that just piqued my interest, but the more I got into it, the right. more I saw it was just a collection of individual human stories and right. how like, history just captures them at a certain point in their journey, Right. Know? And it just gives them a good, gives students a good, I don't know, path to follow.
1: Right. So that, that's what got you in, uh, I mean, originally it
0: was just, my dad was a history teacher. Mm -hmm. You know, I would grade all of his, he would, he would, the weekend would come, he'd have a stack of like vocab quizzes or Mm -hmm. chapter tests Mm -hmm. and he'd say, I'm going fishing. You want to grade those, uh, (laughs) tests for me? And I, you know, as a. 12-year-old, 8-year-old, whatever, you know, whatever age I was, I was like, oh, yeah, sure, great. Yeah, And I can remember just laughing at how I thought the, how dumb the kids were. <laughs> when I was like 10 years old, I was like, this guy doesn't even know who Richard Dixon is. Yeah. What a fool. Yeah. So it's probably some of that. And it's probably some of just, I don't know, he, my dad telling me those stories of people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it just, you know, kind of snowballs. And then you right. find your own historical you know topic that gets you going. You, you dive into that. Right. So what was your, what, what was your specific topic or like part of history that really got you rolling in your own direction?
1: Wow. That's a good question. Uh, you know, some of the ancient history got me rolling. Uh, like I said, my younger years, I was fascinated with Roman history and then obviously the Greeks, the Egyptians, and then...
0: So what, what about those things? Like, really well, I,
1: I think their existing structures of government, their uh, achievements with technologies. Uh, obviously, you mentioned like the Stoics, uh, like some of the philosophers uh, and their thinking, you know, some of the, uh, the influential Greek philosophers, uh, their views on government. I mean, would they even apply? To the 21st century. Their views were different from the Athenian uh, democracy that existed in the 5th century. So, uh, you know, the, the, there's certain things that, again, as I dig deeper, I, I find more information. I seem like I gain more interest, and it just keeps branching out. The, the, during my master's, I, I was my, my area of expertise was more of Western history, more of the U.S. West uh, so Native American history and then the 19th and early 20th century American West. And so that's kind of a fascinating topic. I don't get to spend a whole lot of time in, in my AP U.S. history teaching that uh, portion, but uh, it's, it's one of my uh, strong interests. And then I get into some of the, the, the Cold War era. You know, the, that's one of my favorite periods in U.S. history is, is what's going on in the 50s all the way to the 1980s. So it, it just seems to branch out, and, and I find something new that I'm like, wow, I want to learn more about it. Uh, some of the recent kicks is you mentioned earlier, the Mongols. I mean, what's with this civilization? Barbaric, right? Cruel uses psychological warfare that some of the you know some of the recent uh, dictators probably have implemented, uh, but yet they're unspoiled. They're like, we're not going to force upon all my beliefs onto you people. You know, they're embracing other beliefs. It's just a fascinating civilization. Right, if you'd you, think
0: they would want to, like, stomp everything out, but they were just like, eh, whatever, we conquered right. right now. Right, like, Islam,
1: yeah, well, we can embrace sure. this. You know. <laughs> or Confucianism, sure, you know, we can. But, it's, 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 again, it's it's a very fascinating uh, civilization, and and as John Green from Crash Course put it, they're the exception to the rule sometimes. And compared to some of the other civilizations that have been known for conquering, whether it be uh, the Macedonians with Alexander the Great or uh, the Romans or uh, whoever, it's
0: crazy how many little cracks and crevices there are to get you mm-hmm. know, interested in. So when you teach like AP US History, mm-hmm. does it? I don't. Know, does it bother you? Does it irk you? Does it kind of make you? Does it bum you out that you can't dive deep into the, some of those topics that you really want to? Because I when I see mm-hmm. where you're at and how you're moving through history, I'm thinking like, wow, I'm I'm still just kinda diving into this topic. Right. And I feel like you probably would enjoy to dive into some of those topics.
1: Right. More. Yeah, I I could probably take a semester and just teach the twentieth century. Or even the second half of the twentieth century. Uh, and again, it, uh, you're trying to meet those requirements as a, as a teacher with the state standards, and I get all that. Uh, but there's ways I think where you can pinpoint certain topics and spend a little time with them. And uh, I, I like to spend some time with the, the revolutionary period, so right before the American Revolution and during the American Revolution, and then right after. I like to, because I think that's that's an important part of history to that establishes a lot of the foundation for American politics and also just just kind of the views of, of rights uh, that impact society as well. And, uh, and also, in a way, kind of in that period, you see the, the, the beginnings of the, the U.S. economic system as well. But uh, there are some moments where, I, you know, I just can't spend time with that and I just got to move on and uh, just accept the fact that we're just not gonna, you know, spend a whole lot of time with, with the 1980s. It's just the reality of the situation. Y- your days are numbered, and uh, and students have to, you know, be re- ready for that test. And so, uh, the next few days, uh, starting next week, we're gonna just do purely test prep. Would I rather, you know, spend some time with recent topics? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I would just whenever I know whenever I have to like, cut something or can't get to something. It right. just... There's a part of me that's like, oh, man, you're really selling these kids short. Like, God dang it. You sh- you should really try to get to that. I just know they'd like it. Right. But so, you just have to swallow that pill and keep right. going forward Is what I kind of learned to do.
1: Right. So give me a topic that you cannot live without. Like, you, you have to go through the whole duration.
0: Um, civil rights movement in Vietnam for me. right? Like, I just just looking at our current state of things and why things are the way they are without talking about those two specific topics. You have to look at the racial issues that are still obviously mm-hmm. occurring across the country, and you have to look at just the idea or trust in government or um, you know military use, which is kind of... It's changed, but it changed because of those events. You know, like, why, aren't we, why weren't we protesting the war in Afghanistan? Longest war in U.S. history. Why? Well, maybe because we didn't draft a bunch of kids that didn't want to go fight. You know, instead we took a different route because our government realized, okay, that's not how you uh, keep a, a public pacified when, it's, when you're talking about a war. Right. Like, you give bonuses to people to send them back over. That's going to be our strategy this time. And if you don't know about Vietnam, you might not realize that, you know, there was a time when a majority of the country had an opinion, a strong opinion about a war, you know, Mm -hmm. and most people today, you know, when they wake up, the Afghan war probably isn't on their mind.
1: So it's the amount of media exposure can play a factor as well, I
0: think. Right. And so would they be, I mean, there's been times I'm sure when those classes haven't covered those topics in the past and... You know, those kids have probably been fine that made their way through. But for me personally, like there's just topics that I really find super important to cover. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that's okay that those are my topics and somebody else has different topics. Right. Because, you know, they're passionate about maybe the progressive era or something like that. Right. Which just has just as many good lessons. Right. You know, and I don't like I don't think we should have to constrain the history teachers to teaching every single time period because it's an impossible task mm-hmm. and it also robs them of maybe being enthusiastic and spreading that enthusiasm about certain topics right I, I don't I don't know if that's the case I don't know if I don't know if every administrator or other you know what standard maker right knows, about teaching history, like right. I think that's a problem sometimes when it comes to education, is that you have maybe somebody who ha- is a specialist in one area, like science or English, and they're starting to make you know rules or um, regulations for a history class. Right, but it doesn't really match up because they don't understand the what the specifics of teaching that. Am I crazy for thinking that? I don't know. No. Okay. No.
1: No. Again, you think about it. You and I, in twenty some years, thirty years, whatever, how are we going to be able to get through the first few decades of the twentieth century, twenty-first century? I mean, let alone the twentieth century. I you know, it's just, it's crazy to fathom that if you have a U.S. history course, you're you're starting in the before Columbus's voyage, and then you have to get to twenty fifty.
0: Right. And pl- and plus, isn't that time period? pre-Columbian, isn't that the time of the natives? I feel like there's some statistic. It's probably longer than the time after in the establishment of the U.S. government, probably. Right? Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, people have been living right. here for, you know, I mean, some... I mean, that, that number keeps changing going right. back further. But right. it's crazy to think that, like, okay, do all that, which is actually right. longer right. than the actual time period of the U.S. government and their reign in this right. land. But then cover the... Yeah. And then they, yeah, add add year after year after year. Right. I had a just a debate within my own brain about what I could do next year to try and get further into you right. know, the seventies and the eighties. Because there's right. topics there right. that I think students would like and find relevant and right. would generate, you know, more interest in history. And right. so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to cut something or squeeze something down.
1: Well, and again, it comes down to what your philosophy is with with your course and what you want students to gain. And so it, like for me, again, the reality is, is, and I remind my students in both classes, World History and uh, APUSH, is that you're studying people. And I tell them the first day, hey, do you make decisions? Do you think that's what these people did? and again students realize that that uh, you know they make decisions they can think they know that but i don't think they dwell on that that their decision making their their thoughts could be something that impacts others and so i give examples of individuals who would be you know average joe you know guys like confucius right he's a, he's a middle class teacher 2500 years ago who would have ever thought that he would have picked, impact billions of people, in, in not only in China, but other locations for the next 2,500 years. Or, or you look at the Iliad and the Odyssey. Do you think Homer even fathom that people from a distant land would be reading his epic poem? I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, but they do forget, or they, it's hard to grasp, but they, they're just normal people. They're not any more special than yeah. you or I. They're just right. people who, you know, were stumbled upon at some point and their message caught, you know, caught the wind and went to someone's ear and right. got duplicated. And there was a quote I heard the other day. It was that, I thought it worked well for teachers and it works well for all these people that we're talking about is that it was, it says, the artist's job is to take the truth of the ages and apply it or make it digestible for the Modern day, yeah, you know, because all the stuff that these people did and had thoughts on, um, it's not like all the, their ideas are based in some of the same philosophies, right? And it just takes a repackaging of that for every generation to kind of realize right. and grasp, right, and put forward. But it does help to have their writings around, like I mentioned. Right. my One of, one of my favorite is Epic, Epictetus who was a former Roman slave. Right. He just, he wants to become a teacher. Right. So he goes out, you know, on the edge of one of the cities. You know, he just sets up shop. Right. Has like a lecture area. Right. And they just have a school. And their school was people talking. Mm-hmm. Like he would sit there and give a lecture. And right. they would discuss his ideas. But do you think, yeah, do you think he had any idea that, you know, thousands of years in the future, right. there are books about him, there are philosophies based on him. Right. Um, it's just incredible to think that. And I, maybe it's egotistical to think that would happen to to like one of us possibly. But I know right. that it's possible and that it's not, you know, um, out of the realm of, of possible. That's kind of repeating myself. But yeah, so what are some of the, like in general, like lessons that do keep repeating themselves or that you hear from certain people that you think are the most applicable or the most important for kids or students to take away?
1: Well, you and I have had conversations about this, um, in in the past about plugging kids into the, to the era or to the, to the character or to the historical person themselves. And so like with my students, we do meeting of the minds where they have a a character of certain era and they have to really dive deep into this character and get a sense of this person's opinions based on certain topics it impact a certain era. And so one of my notable role plays for world history is um, the, the Versailles Peace Conference of 1919. The students play the roles as the allied leaders, minus Russia, because they're going through this Bolshevik thing, you know, so they didn't invite the Russians. But, anyways, uh, they, they are the allied country leaders. They are supposed to figure out how to prevent another war. And they also need to deal with the losing countries, the Central Powers, in aka Germany and Austria and Ottoman Empire. So what do you do? So I give them parameters of questions to think about, such as, who do you blame for the war? Should the, the any losing country or countries pay war reparations? Uh, Should they be stripped of territory? Should you create new countries? What do you do with imperial possessions? So there's so many different decisions that they have to make. And so they go through the process. And and what's very common for about every class is that when we get the war reparations, like, yep, we want Germany to pay $60 billion or $100 billion or $80 billion. And I think in actual history, it was only a few billion dollars that they had to pay in war operations. But they, they, they get in this mold where they're thinking like the the Allied leaders from, from France, like revenge. That's on their mind. How can we severely punish? Let's reduce their military, let's take out their infrastructure, let's strip of their territory, their colonies, let's do all this, okay? And then we want to keep their colonies. So we go through this whole process And they make up their own, like, bylaws or whatever uh, articles for their own treaty. And then I have them evaluate. And I ask them, do you think you were harsh to the central powers? And about every group says yes. And then I yell at them. I say, I chew them out. Like, why would you do that? Do you know what the ramifications are? Do you know what the consequences are? And that's something that students have to really think through. Like, what are the possible outcomes and every once in a while, I'll get a student who says, they will propose no war reparations. I don't want them to pay any money. Or let's be careful of how much we take away from them. Or let's let's grant independence to many, uh, to all different groups, not just from for Europeans, but people in the Middle East or in Africa. And they always get shot down. Why is that?
0: So is, is the lesson that... They should just be more pragmatic in their thinking or just actually think before they make large decisions right. in life right. in general?
1: It's it's making those decisions. But again, they're putting themselves in the role play, and they think, well, this is how people probably did it. And there might be some truth to that. But at the same time, if I'm giving you the opportunity to rewrite history, how would you rewrite it? Because as Mark Twain says, history doesn't repeat it, rhymes there's going to be events where individuals will have to make those crucial decisions and maybe have a better outcome. Did the, uh, the leadership of the Allied powers make better decisions after World War II compared to World War I?
0: I would say so. I mean, uh, to some degree. To some
1: degree, yes. I mean, you got the Cold War, okay? And, and yeah, you have weapons buildup. There, there are, I mean, you can, you can make an argument for both sides.
0: But they did. But the whole reparations issue, they did. I mean, the West at least said, "Hey, let's not do that because we just did that." Right. And then we got that funny mustached guy. Right. You know.
1: <laughs> but again, it's 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 an event that's similar to World War One. The outcomes are different. Decisions were made differently.
0: Right. And so the idea or the lesson to take away from that is, you know, think before you make those decisions. Right. Learn from. Right, those mistakes. You know, right, and just... I make I make
1: parallels to parenting. Like, okay, your child, you know, did something that was against your rules or misbehaving. Something. Like that. How are you going to handle that? Are you going to be like the the Allied leaders at the Versailles Peace Conference and lay down the hammer? Or are you going to be too lenient? You know, that's that's the thing. It's you got to make it somehow relevant that that most kids are going to experience sometime down the road in their lives.
0: And the, one of the things that you just brought up that's super true about history and really interesting is that those things that are applicable on the macro scale or that happen on those large you know global issue scales they're also applicable to family structures or mm-hmm. you know company structures or school structures and I think that's maybe where the one of the best lessons is that. Those things that are true on the larger scale are also true on the smaller scale. And the the same, it works vice versa as well. If it's going to work on these smaller scales in a family structure or in a business structure, why not keep building that outward if it's successful there? Or if it's successful up there, how does that work on the micro scale? Yeah. Applying those things back and forth is probably one of the most useful things to get from history, I think.
1: But students embrace the fact that they can make those decisions and have the the power and ability to make those decisions. At least most of them uh, embrace that. And again, if you as a, as a teacher can somehow, you know, turn certain lessons into, in those uh, ways where students have to make those crucial decisions, I think it definitely provides them those skills that they need. You know, us telling stories every day is kind of a dying art in some respects. And so I, I, you know, for me, as much as I love to, to, to tell stories and, and talk on and on about certain topics, I think where students really remember my course is when they're actively engaged in something where they have to make those decisions.
0: Right. So the ideal history class in your mind, do you think it's a combination of those two right. things? Right. Yeah. Of the interesting stories and then also opportunities to make right. those real-time decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, along with working certain skills. You know, obviously, critical thinking skills. I mean, we don't have the luxury of, of, in a sense, having certain labs where we're doing some chemistry experiment. We don't have the luxury of, you know, we're in the automotive class putting something together. You know, we have to find some other ways to get kids more hands-on, and and, and but really utilizing their their abilities to think and to be able to compare and contrast and and to take some complex very difficult uh, topics and somehow relate it to them that's that's a fine line to walk in my opinion
0: yeah I mean especially when you're dealing with with teenage students right you know, there's some things just yeah are hard to make connectable to their own life at that time in their life at that their right. at their at that time period because it, I'm sure you've experienced this, too. I mean, you were kind of an example of this. Most kids or most people that you talk to always give it that same line about, well, oh, I didn't get into history until, you know, further down the road or after high school. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because as you get older, you can maybe see where those events connect clearly to your own life. So, yeah, I think that's maybe one of the big challenges is trying to connect teenage life to history. But what uh so speaking of stories, though, and that story half, what is your all time or one of your favorite stories that you think of constantly in regards to history that maybe it's like keep you going or like guide your own personal philosophy, or just one that maybe just you think of and laugh about, or I don't know which one of those you want to go? with. Wow, but, yeah, Because there's a few of them
1: there there are a few, there are a few. I I do tell the the story uh, about my great-grandmother. Her husband, my great-grandpa, was uh, living in South Dakota in the early 1900s. And she was over in Sweden, which, again, would happen with immigrants where you you have somebody over there getting established before either the wife or the rest of the family or extended family comes over. And so she... uh, left Sweden to go to England, and she was going to take uh, transportation from England all the way to uh, New York. And uh, the year was 1912.
0: I think I see where this yeah, might be going. Yeah, you know where
1: this is going. So <laughs> she had a ticket to, to go on the Titanic. And my, my if my grandmother was here, she could tell a story way better than me. According to the legendary story of my great-grandmother, she received a message before... Going on the ship, that uh, somebody at home was ill and she had to go back to Sweden to take care of things. Now, what if she didn't get the message? What if nobody was sick? Right? You get into the what ifs. And again, I'm not an expert on the Titanic. I think a good chunk of of children and women were saved. But again, you you get into these what ifs. What if she never made it across? You know, And, and again, those are some things that students don't really factor in. You know, that uh, you get into these uh, back to the future moments where, <laughs> you know, I'm fading into, into, the, into history here. <laughs> but again, it's, it's something that kids don't realize that how valuable stories are from from your older people, especially relatives. And my parents, they do an awesome job with knowing their, their respective family's history, especially my dad uh, knows a lot. And so, like in any culture, how are you going to be able to continue that on? You got to pass that on. You got to you got to share those stories with future generations, and I think that's something valuable. And again, I talk about this when I get into World War One, whatever. I just throw this as a side story. It's not like anything I test on or or whatever, but I just think it, it gives kids a, a, a something that, that they should look into.
0: Right, and I, I'm just. I'm trying to think of my own family history. Right. I don't, I have some somewhat of a grasp, but it's not as firm as I'd like it to be. You know, like I'd right. like to be able to look back to know what right. those great grandfathers or grandmothers right. did or who they were because, right. you know, without their decisions, I don't exist. Right. You know, that's also the crazy part of that story is just, right. it's just, if, if you think about that and apply okay. it to your life, you could say that. You know every little decision that you make, right? It matters. It counts. It, right. it like puts you on a certain trajectory into the future. So, like really, like you said before, think about those decisions right. before right. you go and right. punish the Germans. Right. Know? Exactly. Because that path leads down a dark, right, twisty road.
1: Right. And to finish the story, uh, she ended up a uh, few. I think it was a few weeks or a few months later. She. Uh, Went across on the Lusitania, which, by the way, three <laughs> years later gets gets sunk by a German U boat. So, and again, I finished that story like that, and, and uh, the <laughs> I'd like to tell my students either my grand great grandmother is either lucky or she's cursed with ships, one of the two. So, <laughs> but she made it. I mean, she made it, and uh, and here I am today. So,
0: right. There's and there's like there's one guy that fell off. The I feel it was the, like a Mayflower, right? His name was like John Rawlings or something. I mean, mm-hmm. I could be making that up, nah. but he falls out of the boat. They like struggle to get him back in. They they get him on deck. He survives, and then you know years later they traced his like offspring, and it leads into like Alec Baldwin and like oh. Abe Lincoln or like there's just these crazy <laughs> right huge names that come from that right. guy. If it wasn't for that guy, right being Taking yeah. out of the ocean, like, we don't get all those right. grand people.
1: Right. Yeah, and I tell my students, hey, on my other side of the family, my great-grandfather was a bootlegger. Should I, you know, bury his name in the mud because he did something illegal? No, you, you got to look at what's going on at that time. He's a farmer living in South Dakota. The Great Depression hit the farmers first. Can you blame the guy for making illegal booze and try to you know provide his family? I mean, again, this is why students should look into their they should know where they came from. What what did their previous family members do? You never know when you're going to find something fascinating or interesting.
0: The, and I don't I don't know how true this one is, but I remember hearing this from an, an aunt of my of my dad's. For my family, the one of the reasons one of my ancestors came across the ocean was because he was caught poaching in the King's Forest right. in England. Right. And I think that was probably a death sentence at the right. time. So he <laughs> hops on a boat and comes on over. Like that's such a strange right. happening. Like some guy hunting in the forest, uh, you know, and getting caught is the reason why I I'm at St. Peter High School, <laughs> teaching U.S. history. You know
1: exactly. Yeah, that's how it happened. <laughs> Just go with it, right?
0: Perfect. Um, so, how about how about people? Is there anyone that you look to in history for inspiration? Like I talk about, I talk about like right now. I'm reading a lot of Marcus Aurelius. I'm reading yeah. a lot of Epictetus. Yeah. Um, like I don't know. I'm really into the Stoics right now. I like right. what they have to say or what they wrote. Right. And they're philosophy seems to be pretty in line with how I want to live my life. Or I look at Teddy Roosevelt, you know, just always doing stuff. Like I look at those people and those are people mm. I look for in history for inspiration or right. even like, even like I mentioned before, Malcolm X or MLK. Those are right. like all those names pop into my head when I am trying to, you know, be inspired or be motivated. Right. So is there anyone that comes to mind or that you frequently revisit to kind of pump you up and get you inspired?
1: Yeah, that, again, that's another good question. It, it, it always hits me when I'm covering that topic at that time. Like, oh, yeah, this this person right. definitely catches my interest. Uh, you know, again, you mentioned some of the philosophers. and Marcus Aurelius is definitely one of those rare leaders that also was very philosophical. You know, there, there's some individuals that are, you know, not something that we immediately think in, in history as... Somebody inspiring or influential or whatever, but I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm not gonna tell you who my favorite is, but I'm gonna give you an example of, of an interesting character, uh, Chief Red Cloud, of the of the Sioux, and um, and he was one of the few Native Americans to negotiate a treaty favorable to his people, temporarily obviously. And the interesting part about him is that. In his, in his younger years, when, when, when he was able to negotiate, I think it was the Treaty of Laramie. Of, somebody probably will correct me later on. I think it's 1868. As time goes on, this guy's not so warrior-like. If you look at visuals of, of, of his uh, reservation house towards the end of his life, he's got American flags. He's got uh, pictures of... of of Christ on there, I mean, he's embraced a lot of the of the Euro American ways. What happened? You know, that's that's what I ask my students. Like, is the guy just have a change in philosophy and in, in, in his later life? Do he have a midlife crisis and he just like reevaluated, Well, this is just a lost cause. I can't continue to try to win wars and and help my people retain its identity. So, might as well embrace it so that I can save what people I have left you know, why this huge change? And I think people have to evaluate themselves in later in life. And like, have I really changed from my younger years to my older years? Did, did my mentality change? You know, we, you always talk about in, in politics that, you know, some of the most liberal people are the younger people sometimes. And then as they get older, they seem to be, you know, tight gripping the money and uh, becoming more conservative. Is it, is it, is it that type of, of wavelengths of, of change for Red Cloud or anybody else who's 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 done things in the past and then totally altered their their philosophies or mindset or culture, et cetera? So again, I I, I tell this the students that you know who you are right now will that be the same person or will there be some parts of it that change over time? So Red Cloud is an example of that,
0: right? And and I guess the decision a person has to make is whether they will make that change consciously or whether they let that change happen to them without really thinking about it. Right. You know, because people can let events shape them and change them. Right. Or they can maybe have a, a mindset of, I do want to change for right. the better. Or I want to be this way in the future. Or I have a idea of myself further down the road um and i think making the choice consciously is probably right the better of the two choices because i mean if you if you just let those changes affect you unconsciously mm-hmm. you know there's plenty of people in history that could have let the tragedies of their life just sink them right you know or turn them into insignificant people who just lived an insignificant life but they didn't they you know kept a certain mindset that allowed them to you know reclaim some sort of grand life or like they led, they led a significant life because right. of a, a, a conscious change or a decision they made about the future. You know, right. Like, like Richard Nixon, we've talked about him right. before. Oh, yeah. Me and you. And, you know, there's plenty of times in his life where he could have just said, what, well, I'm done. Like he did say he's done. He
1: did. He right? did say, he, I quit from politics. You'll never be able to stomp on Nixon ever again or whatever.
0: <laughs> right. But he comes back. He yeah. made a conscious change to, to make his return. And, you know, he becomes president. Um, he's, he rides an incredible high for a good while. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had a solid first term as president, um, with high popularity rankings. Um, I mean, obviously now with some groups in the country, right? but I mean, he succeeded. Right. And one of his, one of my favorite quotes from him is that like, you can't appreciate the highest peaks unless you've experienced the lowest lows. And I mean, wow, isn't that the truth? Like... If you, when you're down in those low valleys, like, mm-hmm. you have to make those decisions like, right, I'm going to get back up and climb up that right. Hill, you know? right.
1: So reversing the question, is that Nixon for you or is there somebody else?
0: <laughs> probably not Nixon. Um, <laughs> like I just like that quote from Nixon. Um, overall, he's just an interesting character, right. I think. A human study of just somebody who probably deep down just wanted to be liked. You know, like at the base of all the things he did, he probably mm-hmm. just wanted to be liked by people. Right. And he did some pretty interesting things to do right. that. Um, but the, per, I mean, the one, who do I go back to? I mean, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt's a pretty solid one. And the thing about choosing historical figures, I've come to realize, is that you might you might rely on these people to inspire you to motivate you, but then there are also parts of their maybe life that maybe now aren't looked upon as favorably as maybe they were overlooked in the past. So obviously like you have to be in this day and age, you have to be careful about like who you pick. But I think I'd I'd stick with my original choices of Teddy Roosevelt and the Stoics. Um, I just, I want to be someone that does a lot of good. Right. And if you look at Teddy Roosevelt's life, Mm -hmm. that guy, Has a resume of doing good. Mm -hmm. And maybe it wasn't because of just a general, like, it might be the same reason of Richard Nixon. Like, he probably just wanted to be liked. Right. Um, But one of my favorite quotes from him is that do what you can where you are with what you have. Right. And that's applicable to any situation. It's applicable to, you know, lots of aspects of life. Right. If you're sitting in your room, a dirty room right now listening to this podcast, yeah. and you're saying, Do what you can and where you are with what you have, well, right. you got two hands and some feet. Hopefully you could probably pick a few things up. Right. You know, like and that will like if you keep doing those things, it mm-hmm. snowballs and creates, you know, positive change in the future. And so modern figures, I rely on him for that. When it comes to trying moments, the stoics are probably the best. Mm-hmm. To help you realize that, you know, can you? what can you really control? Right. You know?
1: Well, that's the thing. With outside forces kicking in, that manipulates maybe the change within yourself or, you know, thinking of other people that you have to embrace something new or be able to adjust your lifestyle. And that's why I made that reference to Red Cloud. I, and probably certain outside forces caused him to say, hey, either I got to embrace this or I'm going to lose more people. So leading by example. That's him. That's you know some other historical figures who've who've led by example.
0: Yeah, and that's as a teacher, like that's something that you can definitely do in your classrooms. Right. You know, if you have, if you have a problem with cell phones in your classroom, you maybe aren't someone on the cell phone. If you have problems with students uh, engaging in certain activities, you engage in it. Right. And show them how to engage with it. Right. You know. Lead by example. Right. Teach by example. I think that's some pretty powerful advice to to leave our listeners.
1: Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me Mr. on. Rothenberger. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Clark, for having me on. We could probably do this again sometime. Yeah, we definitely need Talk to do this again. About history. Right.
0: There you have it, episode fifteen with Aaron Rothenberger in the books. One correction i'd like to make is in regards to the guy that fell off the mayflower not john rollins guy's name was john howland kind of an interesting story as i did my research he was a servant to the future governor of new plymouth john carver uh guy falls over the boat grabs onto a rope at the last second they pull him in this is in the middle of the atlantic ocean by the way. Not like they were parked in a sandbar and the dude slipped. Uh, could have been bad. And because they pulled that guy in the boat, because he grabbed the rope at the last second, he has uh, he made his way back on the Mayflower and he made his way to land and uh, he figured out how to reproduce. because he is responsible for two million descendants in the united states of america some of his notable descendants include presidents authors and actors because of john howland we have franklin delano roosevelt we have both george h.w bush and george w bush we have sierra palin because of him also ralph waldo emerson henry wadsworth longfellow alec baldwin Humphrey Bogart, Christopher Lloyd, Great Scott, Joseph Smith of the Mormon variety, and also Dr. Spock, not Mr. Spock, but the real guy, uh, baby doctor, Dr. Spock. So, just goes to show you how big of an impact a seemingly insignificant act in history can have. I doubt when they pulled up the servant of John Carver from the ocean, they were thinking, wow, thank God we did that because uh, we could have altered the course of history. They probably thought, you idiot, don't look over the boat so far next time. As I listened back to this podcast through editing, there were some things that I took away from it that I hope most people do, and that is that... When it comes to your decisions, take some time to think about it. Don't make rash decisions. Try to give yourself the right amount of time to make them because those decisions have large impacts. As Rothenberger pointed out with the Treaty of Versailles at the end of World War One. Another takeaway I got from this podcast was that There are good templates for life that exist out there already. People have lived great lives and they've done so because of great habits or great philosophies that drove their existence. So find the people that speak to you. Hopefully they're very positive people that cause you to do great good. Don't look at some horrible figure in history and say, wow, yeah, I want to, I'm inspired by that. No, just no, that's a bad idea. Um, Find the positive figures in history that speak to you and follow their path because these templates work. The last takeaway I thought deeply about was the idea of being conscious of the changes happening to you. Don't go through life Allowing events to shape you Unconsciously When things happen to you that are Overtly positive Or even overtly negative Think about those experiences Readjust your philosophy And the way of being in the world Because of those experiences I believe the kids are saying these days uh, uh, Stay woke My listeners (laughs) Somebody's Someone probably cringed right there. That's okay. Last but not least, some suggestions for my listeners out there. I'm currently reading the memoir or autobiography of David Goggins, a Navy SEAL, ultramarathon runner, all-around crazy guy. And boy, his book really puts things into perspective. If you think you are going through some tough stuff or you think school is difficult or high school has got you down... I would pick up this book. Uh, It's it's great for inspiring change and pushing you to become a better person. If you need some sort of confirmation on this, follow David Goggins on Instagram. Maybe look up some podcasts he's been on. Just YouTube David Goggins. See what pops up. Um, The book is called Can't Hurt Me, I'm about halfway through it, and uh, it's a book that I enjoy picking up whenever I can to read it. Another book that I I don't know if I recommend it or not, but there is a children's book called The Boy Who Fell Off the Mayflower that actually covers the John Howland story. So if you are a parent looking to teach some history to your little ones, there you go. There's a kid's book, The Boy Who Fell Off the Mayflower. And that's all I got for this episode. Thank you once again for clicking in, listening to this conversation. I really appreciate you. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. And we'll see you next time here on I Am Teacher.